All right, what's happening, everybody? This is your man, Kyle Means, editorial director of WeAreRegalRadio.com, War Media. Uh, we just uh, coming at you uh, with a special here, uh, Kobe Bryant uh, Memorial, you know, salute to the Mamba and everything. Uh, just got some good got some good people together who I know can reflect on his legacy and what made him great and what made what makes everybody what's what's basically what's made the world stop in the last couple of days and made this such a significant event losing him and losing his daughter Gianna and all those uh those other seven people uh, uh who, amazing people who we lost in that helicopter incident over Calabasas California uh, it's been a rough time i would say you know, probably the roughest thing that's ever been connected to sports. And, you know, my almost 30 years of following sports, you know, just living a life that's been devoted and, you know, so much connection to sports throughout that time, throughout my life, you know, I can't, you know, recollect having a feeling like this. It's not like losing a game or losing a championship or anything. It's, it's his real life and there's so much connected to our lives and our existence that I think this story is fleshed out uh, in society. You know, it's, it's been, it's really been meaningful and it's been okay to hurt and it's been okay to, uh, you know, let that emotion go. And uh, I've, I've been glad to see how so many people have been unified in that, in that way. And, uh, you know, we got to, you know, we're going to move on eventually. But, you know, today, as I, as we speak, uh, this is Tuesday, just a couple of days after the incident. The uh, You know, we know that the Lakers aren't playing yet. They can't. They postponed the game with the big L.A. game with uh, the Clippers that they were scheduled to have. And, you know, it, it shows you how much the Lakers are going through it and how much L.A. is going through it that they – really weren't even thinking of having that type of game today. So, you know, peace out to everybody out there in L.A. and everybody who loves – we know who loves Kobe, you know, all the, the the true Kobe fans, the true Laker fans, you know, our hearts go out with y'all as as well as, uh you know, Vanessa Bryant and the Bryant family and the families of everybody on on the helicopter. So, uh, but, um, you know, as far as, you know, people who I wanted to speak to, about Kobe, I definitely had to speak to my main man, Scoop B, and I got him on the line now. And Scoop is a guy who, you know, through his years of fanaticism and, and journalism as a as a keeper of the of the torch of the game and the spirit of the basketball, you know, I, I know he's felt it. I've seen, you know, I've seen you talk about it a lot online, man. And I was just thinking, like, you're you're a guy who spoke not only to Kobe in your life, but you spoke to his father too. So I know this is a significant moment for you, man. And just starting off, man, you know, just start off with that, man. What is, what has it been like for you in the past couple of days? What have the feelings been like and what are the emotions been like for you? You know, it hurts, man. It hurts because um, I relate to Kobe a lot. Um, Kobe is somebody who had high goals for himself, set expectations for himself, and um, 
led by example and was an overachiever, if you will. And um, many didn't always get him. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of, um, it's almost like you went from Saturday Kobe was living to Sunday Kobe was living, is living no more. And for me as a, as a, as both a journalist and as a fan of the game, it, it's weird. Um, it's weird because I was at uh, LeBron's game uh, in Philadelphia on Saturday when he broke Kobe's scoring record, uh, went on third all-time uh, NBA scoring. And then Sunday I got a call from somebody in Los Angeles uh, minutes after uh, the, the, the helicopter crash. And it, it, it's surreal. Like, you didn't want to believe it because superheroes don't die. Uh, and then, you know, catching up with people calling people, uh, fraternity of brothers, journalists, and just people who are in the know, we all just kept talking about just the, the person or the perfectionist that he was. And um, in recent years, he really began to see the father that he was. It wasn't just Kobe dying, it was his daughter dying. Um, and there's other people on, on, that, on that aircraft, that, that, that helicopter that died. And um, it, it's just interesting. Um, life is not promised to anyone, and if, if you could take anything away from this, it's that um, you have to live every day to the fullest, you have to find your passion, you have to find your purpose, and you have to stick with it. Um, and, and just doing some interviews, I have a piece that will, will drop Friday uh, over at Heavy.com. Uh, one of the things that I've just been finding and just talking to various people is, you know, Kobe didn't just offer advice to players. There were coaches who reached out to Kobe, um, and 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 really just um, he was a master of his craft. He was a mentor, and I think if anything, this really makes you realize Kobe was a lot closer to the greatness of Michael than we give him credit for. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good piece. Uh, shout out to the Bigs that uh. A good piece that uh they put out today through the website the tribe uh here in Chicago that reflected on that Kobe being the closest thing to Mike and you know us being Chicagoans that's that's sort of a touchy thing because you know I, I'll go I'll go into a little bit right now just with my my personal feelings on Kobe like Kobe is like but I didn't get to see Mike from wire to wire. Because you know I'm not old enough. I was born in '84, the year he was drafted. I was, I wasn't really a conscious basketball fan till that first championship year when I turned seven in '91. So I got to enjoy that whole reign with with Mike and the ups and downs, him retiring and coming back and everything. And you know, there's no one, no, there'll never be anyone like Mike to me. So when Kobe first came out in '97. You know, with 96 to draft, of course, but by 97, he's starting to be a bit of a phenomenon. You know, people, you know, people seeing flashes of him. By 98, you got that all-star game in New York, and he's by then he's full on like, oh, I'm coming for you, Mike. And he came for him in that game, and they I think they shared MVP in that game, right? Am I, am I correct? And um, you know, I was like, man, forget Kobe, man. <laughs> you ain't never Mike, man. And, you know, yeah. you ain't never going to be Mike. But and so throughout the next 10 years or so, 
I was sort of like, you know, forget this dude. But by by the time he gets to that second that repeat that he has with the later guy with the later talent, uh, Paul Gasol and everybody, Artest and and uh, you know everybody, you know he, he's he he's really putting the scare to you by then because he's at four and five championships and. People are like, okay, but is, is he gonna get to six? He he got he he, he gonna get to six, though. The you know the Kobe, you know how the Kobe fan the Kobe stands are established then, and the Lakers fans are like, oh, we gonna get another three piece. So I'm like, oh man, that's the last that's the last thing I want to see. But you know, eventually he doesn't do it, and you know, it, it's it's hard to get away from that petty stuff as far as you know him matching up to your ultimate hero, but. I say all that to say that I saw I, I was able to see Kobe from wire to wire from beginning to end, and he that made that makes him a significant part of my basketball life and my my For life sure. as a fan. And it's sure. not you can't you can't help but appreciate the brilliance and the t- tenacity and the devotion that he had to the game. He really did set an amazing example that only. Yeah. A, Few people can ever say they said in the game. But I'll get back to you. So, what you gotta say? No, I, I think you're, you're pretty spot on, and I add that uh, it's one thing to see the tenacity that he had on the court. I personally think um, because he was an overachiever, he and Shaq didn't always see eye to eye. Yeah, but I feel as though when his legal case happened. Yeah. He needed some extra fuel and he rebranded himself into somebody else and he used all the criticism as motivation to take that level of competitiveness to the next level. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think if you really sit and you think about it, you wonder, okay, 2004, when they went to the final against Detroit, had that court case not happened. Um, and also Detroit just being a better team. Right. I, I think people don't give Tayshaun Prentice just due defensively and how he covered Kobe. It was always Kobe was struggling. No, Tayshaun Prince was being him well. Oh, yeah. And I, I, what'd you say? I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, Pr- Prince was, he was amazing defender at that point in time, yeah. And I also look at, you know, 2008. It was the Celtics' time. Uh, Alan Pierce, Garnett, Rondo, and, uh, you know, Doc Rivers is the head coach. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and I look at that situation with Kobe. I think, you know, early in, the, in, in his career, they were trying to replicate the next Michael um, with the Cleveland image. You know, they tried it with Howard Biner. Grant Hill was often hurt. Um, Penny Hardaway was hurt. Uh, Kobe looked like the perfect specimen, but he had an edge to him. And, you know, I, I think that that legal case with him you know, altered a lot of people's perception and opinion, but it didn't matter because he won all the time. And he almost took the page out of Tom Brady's book. And, you know, I, I look at Kobe and I I think, I wonder, you know, many people say he's the next thing closest to Jordan. Grant Hill has said that to me recently. Um, he feels like it's the closest thing he'll ever see uh, to Jordan. Um, I think that... Um, I'll add that all of the accolades that you mentioned, um, having gone to school at Eastern University, um, where I went to undergrad, right outside of West Philly, um, yeah. I, I kind of got to know Kobe through the community. Um, you know, 
Lower Marion is a township high school, so you have people from Ardmore, Narborough, um, and other you know nearby towns who won't go to that school. And you know, I, I got to know a guy named Will Carter, who um, you know would oftentimes be playing basketball at, at my school, Eastern. You know, as and he was like a liaison between the public schools and my college. And, you know, whenever the 70s, or whenever the Lakers would be in Philadelphia, um, they would always organize some sort of um, event where Kobe was stopped by Lower Marion. And I got to know Kobe through Will. Um, and then a buddy of mine who worked in the mailroom at, at Eastern, his name was Greg Turner, or is Greg Turner. Um, Greg used to hook me up when I would miss the mailroom at 501. He would still look me out if I had a package. He's coming with the high school Kobe all the time. It was this light-skinned dude with red hair that looked like Delante West. His name was Greg Turner. I used to call him Delante. <laughs> and, um, you know, he would tell me about Kobe. And, you know, so during my time at, at, at CBS in 2015 and 2016, that was Kobe's last season, I began to start interviewing people about just Kobe and, and, and almost like the farewell piece. Um, you know, I, I wrote about just his experiences in high school. And Greg told me, if school started at 7.30, Kobe would be in the gym at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, just shooting. Oh, yeah. And this was at 15, 16, 17. Uh, I, I'm still fleshing out and doing interviews for a piece I'm going to write on Friday, but someone told me the other night that, you know, Kobe was playing in Italy with, with other folks, and he was about 10 years old. I tweeted it the other day, and, Somebody need Kobe. It was like a needed e contest. And when he fell on the ground, they said, Kobe, are you all right? He goes, no, my NBA career is over. He was just destined and, and determined to make it to the league. Mm. It's admirable. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was going to get into it a little bit with you about the, the Philly stuff and your connection. I know at, at a certain time, that was more of a contentious thing. You know, because he he had some comments about sticking it to Philly in, in certain ways, and you know, uh, you know, I, you know, I, and Philly, of course, had Iverson during a lot of his career, so they were able to position themselves against him. And and you know, and then in the one finals, they were able to position themselves literally against Kobe and and the Lakers, and you know that didn't work out. So I'm sure there was some heat from that too, but. I'm, I just wanted to get you uh, if you if you got any thoughts or feelings on the relationship as it is now. I'm guessing that it that they probably are proud to have him be a you know a Philly native now, a Philly area native now. And and you know what 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 are the feelings like? Have you gotten any any sense of the feelings from Philly in the wake of the of the incident? Yeah, one of, one of my buddies is a. Uh, one of my buddies who lived across the hall from me when I was at Eastern actually uh, graduated from Lower Marion, and um, he, he commented on the he, he texted me the day my buddy Moose. He texted me the day um, on Sunday. He said, "You all right, man?" I said, "I should be asking you the same thing." And uh, I posted something about Lower Marion on my Instagram, and he goes, he commented, and he goes, "Man, no matter where I go outside of this area, when people ask me where I go to high school." I always tell them Kobe Bryant graduated from my high school. Mm. And he wears that like a badge of honor. You know, Lord Marion is 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 is, is, is it produces a lot of 
competitive basketball was until I got into the Philadelphia area. I, I didn't really realize the impact of that 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 program. And once I, you know, I, Philly is one of my homes. I I understand it a lot more and, and, and gained a greater respect for Philly. Listen, I was I was in Philadelphia on Saturday, and um, you know, as much as people would have for LeBron to, to break Kobe's record. Uh, there's a lot of love uh, that, that folks ended up having for Kobe just because he's from the area. Um, a, a former professor of mine at Eastern uh, hit me the other day. He said there was a point where he lived in Ardmore. Ardmore is one of those incorporated towns in, in the Lower Marion area. And he said um, somebody, when Kobe was in high school, was calling random phone numbers and would call everybody's house hoping that the person who would answer the phone would be Kobe. Um, everybody wanted a piece of this kid in high school, and um, you know it, it's just it's a it's a tragedy. Um, you you wouldn't expect it would be him. You would expect it would be other people. Um, former NBA player Tim Thomas is, is 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 my dude, and you know he and I have been on and off the phone the last couple of days. And one of the things he said to me was, um, "What people forget is Kobe died January 26th. Tim, Vince Carter, and Kobe Bryant were all AAU teammates. Kobe died on Vince Carter's birthday. Mm. So it's a lot. Um, And, and, you know, when you look at just the landscape of basketball, you've never seen anybody who, you know, the major heavy hitters, you know, like the the Bill Russells, the, the Michaels, the Shaqs, the Isaiahs, Charles Barkley, the Magic, they're all alive. The only person who's not dead is, or the only person who's dead is Will Chamberlain. Yeah. And he was old. You know, I mean that in the most respectful way. But yeah. Kobe was 41, and I don't think it's just because he died, it's the way he died, and his daughter died with him. Yeah. It's, that's disheartening. It's, it's so much to take, man. And, and, I, let's get. I was going. Let's get into that a little bit. Like the as far as the legacy goes, like Kobe set so much of his legacy already. But like you say, him only being forty one, and I think I think we all we, we all was you know we've been ruminating in it through the media and everything over the past couple of days. Like the idea is that there was so much more for him to do, and it was expected that he was going to do it. Like. When you look at the way that he was establishing these Mamba academies and the the proactive way that he was putting himself in, in Gianna's, uh, you know, it, sort of guiding her specifically, but also being a, a proponent of women's basketball. And, you know, it, it, there was just so much that is that was looked like it was going to be uh, coming ahead for, for him and his family. Like, you know, people was like, oh, Gianna's going to play for – UConn and she's going to be in the WNBA and you know I, I, there was so much that was be foreseen and I think as a basketball elder I could see I, I could picture Kobe being like Bill Russell and, and Kareem and the fact that those guys are still around and they're sending him off is there's a cruel you know sort of poeticism about that man and you know I think I, it, it makes me think that you know we all, we already do I know you do and I do but I think we all should uh, value those elders who are still around. Those are in our lives and those who inspired us through stuff like basketball. But, 
you know, it's it's amazing that those guys are still around and Kobe isn't, and he won't get to play that role, which I think he would have played very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. When you look at, you know, like, I I know uh, a couple summers ago, Kyrie uh, Irving flew out to Seattle um, during Jamal Crawford's program, and Bill Russell showed up. Seattle is Jamal's hood. Kyrie came. Jamal didn't know if Kyrie was going to actually come. He came. Bill Russell showed up. And Jamal talked about that moment on Don't At Me uh, with my homegirl Roz Golden Wude recently. And, you know, he, he talked about, you know, just the synergy that was there. Um, and it's funny because I spoke to someone in, in, in Kyrie's circle the other day, and we talked about the sneaker influence and how, you know, in 2013, one thing that Kyrie always wanted was to have the sneaker the, the, the signature sneaker. Like, Kyrie had his, his, his one of his first basketball camps in 2013. And you saw all these kids walking around with, like, KD sneakers on and LeBron sneakers and more, right? And Kobe sneakers. He's like, I want that. And then, you know, like, it was in the works that he was going to get his sneaker. Ironically, it was in 2014, the next season when, you know, LeBron James left the Heat and joined, rejoined the Cavaliers, the team that drafted him. And the thing about, what, like, what Kyrie is, Kobe was, was a, is not just a mentor, but somebody he looked up to who grew up similar to him. But Kyrie understood that once you had those sneakers, you have the ears and the eyes of the kids. Mm. Kobe had that. Kobe had it because Michael had it. LeBron had it for the same reason. If it wasn't for Michael and, and him changing the game with sneakers, allowing these guys to be wearing Converse weapons like magic. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's just, Kobe was the living legend and in some respects, maybe had that OG credibility at a younger age faster and in his retirement with these younger players than Bill Russell did. Like, you know who Bill Russell is. But at the same time, like, Kobe was Kobe. You know, like, what I find interesting, particularly with these guys that are drafted in 96 and 95, like, you know, you look at Kevin Garnett, you look at you look at Iverson, like, even somebody like Kenny Martin, like, they're like, Young OGs, but they, they, they got their credibility faster. I'm not sure if it's because of the benefit of, of the golden age of, of, of hoops, um, just social media at large. Like, we know who Bill Russell is. We know who Magic is. But these kids see, oh, he's the gold staff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you, you know, that that I think that's a good dividing line, I think, between generations like, or, or you know that like that '96 class in particular, maybe you could take a couple guys who came in the night in the in the in the media years after. But that that group of people, you know, the '96 class in particular, being how special a class it was, they were the la- they were the first guys who were inspired, particularly by both by hip hop and by those OGs. They were old enough to to take their cues from all the OGs going back to Russell, but particularly like Mike and, and Magic and Barkley and them, the 80s guys who came right before them. But they they took their cues from them, but they also fl- freaked it a bit with their with their own individuality that, that they got from being under hip-hop as well and all that stuff. 
you know, you, you look at how different AI is, but he respected Jordan. And, you know, you look at how, you know, Kobe was, his love for Jordan and every, and all them, but he still had his own thing too. And so I think the fact that, like you say, that they have that legitimacy with the youth, that I think that comes from the youth being rose, being raised up under them directly. Those are the guys they saw when they came into the game and they and they began loving the game. For sure. And I'll add that, you know, when you talk about like Alan Iverson, like um yeah, he, he was at the um he was at the, the, the LeBron's uh game on Saturday and the Lakers were visiting the seventy sixers to, yes. to get the win. Um but you know LeBron broke the record. You know, Philly loves Alan Iverson. Um and I and I put this to um I I I to put this out there, but you know, having spent time in Philly and then spending time in Chicago with you guys, I see an interesting parallel between the love that Allen gets and the love that Chicago that Derek Rose gets. The only difference is Allen Average is from Newport News, Virginia and played for the Sixers and Derek Rose is from the South Side and played for the hometown Chicago Bulls and right. he's very much protected in Chicago. Um the only comparison I can find is Mark Jackson and Rodgers took a place for the Knicks. It's not a direct correlation just because of the level of star power that Derrick Rose has. Um, and I mean that respectfully to both parties. Um, but I, I think you're right about the, the, the Jordan Colson. And the only thing in hip-hop I can kind of compare it to outside of Jay is probably Jay the Kiss in New York with the Jim Jones effect in New York. It's just a love. And, and even Nipsey Hussle that he got. Um... You know, being where he's from and the co-signs that he got from various people was both a gift and a curse. Um, Kobe also was different because he wasn't a city kid. In fact, he set the blueprint for guys like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, who are second-generation ball players. Oh, the yeah. The significant difference between Kobe and those guys is Kobe had international experience. And um, I spoke to someone yesterday who basically said to me, um, he, he works in NBA basketball. He is... Um, He's from Italy, was born at the 18, and remembers Kobe when he was a kid and his dad played overseas. And he said something to me that kind of blew my mind. When we think about Kobe, we think about, you know, Low Marion, we think of Philly, we think of Philly suburbs. Uh, some people think he's silver spoon in his mouth, et cetera. He's able to travel the world. Uh, but what, what's interesting is uh, what, what that person said to me was, and it would be in my article this job Friday, is Kobe gave. Danilo Gallinari and Marco Bellinelli, the hope to play in the NBA, being from Italy. That blew my mind. Mm. That is. In Philly, you think, you think, you think Philly suburbs, you think, you think, um, you, you think some of those guys who, uh, that are from the Philly area, um, who I can't think of right now, but, you think of you think of those guys and the people he influenced. You don't think of Marco Bellinelli and Danilo Gallinari. That blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It and they and that goes down to the current players, like well, well, even more current players like Luca. You know that I've I've seen over the past twenty four hours. You know, people talk about Luca. I think Luca said he said he's more of a of a LeBron guy, but he's also had a lot of reverence for Kobe. Too and I, uh, uh, 
there was been they've been talking about the picture that he took with Gianna when uh he visit and the interaction he had with Kobe when he visited uh LA uh, like uh at the end of December. That was a significant thing right, for him. Right, 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 right. And what I find interesting is when you talk about international play, I was hearing stories about just Kobe's like I heard stories about Michael Jordan and how he was in practice. You've seen, you've seen, you know, documentaries where they talk about how he and Steve Kerr had this fight and had it out, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Horace Grant once told me that Michael Jordan was the devil in practice. <laughs> um, and, and then to hear stories of how Kobe made Pau Gasol and Sasha Vujicic better, um, and how hard he was on them, and certain, and certain guys like. Um, Kwame Brown and Dwayne Howard weren't necessarily receptive to that. Sure. Um, and the way it was told to me was, Kobe Brown is the reason why Pau Gasol and Sasha Vujicic had the elasticity that they had in their career. I believe that wholeheartedly. That makes sense, definitely. He had to have a big, it's a big, uh, you know, uh, influence on those guys definitely, and and sure, probably made them into, you know, you know, Gasol was an all star level player, but you know, did you really think of him as a championship level player until he got to the Lakers? Not really. So yeah, right. definitely, I could definitely see that, and and then I saw a little video again uh, in the in the last day or so about him, like he uh God. What it might have been Vujicic, I, I can't, I can't think of it exactly that. But he was, he was, he was mixing up with a, with a, he was in practice, so he's with another like he's mixing it up with him, sort of in the post, and he gave, he gave the guy a little elbow, and the, and the, and the other guy pushed him back like, and, and Kobe looked off to someone in the, on the court and winked at him, you know, it's like, like you know, he knew how to play his guys, and, and he was definitely very much in that Jordan mode. There's another way, like you said that. He was influenced by Mike. Like he knew that he had to, he had to rip, he had to rip his guys a new one sometimes to make them into the guys that he needed them to be when the crunch time came. And and we and, and I gotta say this too because I, I know you posted it on uh, or reposted it on Twitter that video from late in his career where he was on Jimmy Kimmel and and the and they and Kimmel showed in the video of the guys celebrating Nick Young and all them. I, they Boozer was in it too, and like when he was injured, and they was they had they was really sucking without him, and they won a game, and they was acting a fool, and Kobe had that look like, boy, you like, like he just was like he was gonna kill him next time he saw him. I, that was the that was when I really that was the I, I felt Kobe before then, but that was like the most I've ever probably felt Kobe. I was like, man, I just I just wish I could have seen what he did when he did see those guys. Uh, the next time, for sure, for sure. But he, he was so exacting. He was such a, a force of as a as a player, and and uh, you know, it was almost to, to had a creative bent to it. And like you know, he he would cite you know creative forces in his life, you know, from Jay Z to Mozart in, in in different ways during his life, like during interviews and stuff like that, and. He had the uh, sort of later in his career, the, the the muse, the Kobe's muse thing, and you know, it, and it's interesting that he winds up being the only NBA player to have an Oscar to his name 
you know, with Deer Basketball and the Deer Basketball uh, short film that comes out. Mm-hmm. And, and to have that as a part of his legacy, too, is amazing. That's like it, he was just like, – again, it goes into the promise that he had, I think, as a creative figure, too. He had – I think he had a, he had a chance to influence so much more than he already did, you know, p- beyond the forty one years that he was given. But but in the forty one years he was given, he utilized it to the, to an extreme level, and and it, 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 that's part of what I think makes makes his death so uh, relevant for everybody, and it, and it resonates so much as a loss. Scoop, so your experience looking at Peyton Manning playing the Super Bowl last week and winning, how cool would it have been to ride out in the sunset winning a championship, assuming he retires like that for sure. yourself? Oh, it would have been amazing. It would have been amazing. But, you know, it's, it's um, just wasn't meant to be. But at the same time, I can't complain about it. You know? you know, I've, uh, I've enjoyed winning to the two and the five championships. And, you know, I've been very, very fortunate to have those. Uh, most players are very difficult to get one. So, um, you gotta, you gotta be able to take two of the bed. You ain't old. <laughs> <laughs> My man, Scooby, our guy in NYC, as always, repped uh, We Are Regal Radio and the fam. And, you know, uh, you know definitely, look, like I say, look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks here. And, uh, you know, there's a, just wish you the best, man, and wish you all the peace and prosperity as usual. And, uh, you know, like I say, if just one thing that this – this whole uh, tragedy has taught us all. I think is just to to value the the people in your life, uh, who you appreciate and who you know appreciate you. And you know, you definitely a guy. Uh, I would say that's the case with you and I. So uh, thank you again, bro. And uh, you know, look forward to seeing you soon. My man, I told you home. All right, man. Stay up. Kyle Means, live back at you for this episode of the War Report. Uh, we didn't, didn't really waste time with a intro this week. You know, just went right into what we wanted to do this week, and that was, of course, salute Kobe Bryant. Uh, that was me, of course, that you heard with Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Uh, and, uh, you know, as we, as we said earlier, you know, Scoop is gets around so much with the NBA, and you know he's been a love of the NBA from a very, for you know throughout the entirety of his life. Just like uh, so many of us who are most affected by Kobe's passing, and uh, he was had the fortunate ability to, uh, you know, by chance to interview and talk with both Kobe and uh, Kobe's father, Jelly Bean Bryant. Uh, in uh, that clip you heard most uh, before the transition there uh, was, of course, of you know before the transition and before you know towards the end of our segment, 
Uh, the clip you heard was from Scoop B Radio, which you can uh, download on in all podcast platforms. And uh, that was you know, uh, Scoop talking to Kobe at the uh, uh, 2016 All Star game. But um, yeah, this uh, you know this being the war report. Uh, you know, I got a lot more with Scoop and, and actually a bit. You know, we're doing uh, we are radio.com War on Anchor. We're doing the whole Kobe special that should be released, if not already released. Uh, you, it should, will be very soon. You can check on anchor.fm slash regal-radio for our Kobe special. And um, I'll be talking with uh, some of our other guys, uh, Josh Hicks, uh, a, a big Kobe fan, guy who grew up with Kobe, and uh, Ron Bukovsky gives me some, I guess some uh, thoughts with him too, as well as uh, D. From Dean Davis uh, has a quick take on uh, on Kobe as well, and uh, an issue regarding Kobe and the the NBA logo. But um, that that whole thing will be is uh, like I said, more about Kobe special, a complete Kobe special. You can listen to that on uh, again on a war on Anchor uh, for this show as we uh, we. Uh, round out this show with our NFL picks, our NFL segment. If you listen to our previous shows, uh, me and Ryan Bukovetsky have, you know, gone week to week, uh, round to round in the playoffs, and have given our takes on everything in the playoffs. And uh, now we're down to the big game, the final game, Kansas City and San Francisco. Uh, here we break it down. Uh, really should be a good matchup, and we give you our picks. You know, who do you think uh, who we think is gonna win? It's not uh we're not as lockstep as we've been throughout the playoffs. We've pretty much picked all the same games, but this one we go against each other a little bit. But uh I think we both agree that this is gonna be a fun game, very much so. And uh could be a much needed respite from the uh tough week that this has been in sports. So hope for that definitely. But uh yeah, now this is our NFL segment, me and Ryan. And uh, you know, we as, as with everything we do this week and on this show, we dedicated to Kobe. And uh peace and blessings to the everyone affected by the tragedy, the families in particular of the the nine uh, lost on the in the accident. Um even you know, say beyond Kobe and Gianna, uh, you know all those who are on there. You know, we lost a lot of special people that day, and we just had to keep on moving and you know, lead, uh, followed by the example of the best of what Kobe gave us, and the promise of what you know those athletes like Gianna and her teammates, uh, you know, potentially could have provided. You know, that's how we turn tragedy into something greater and something hopeful that can that makes it things a little better going forward. That's all we can do. Yes, y'all. We are Regal Radio. This is the War Report. We are RegalRadio.com, War on Anchor, and Sports Zone Chicago giving you the latest 
NFL talk here. One of, one of our last NFL segments we'll probably have for a little while. Uh, you know, we'll uh, this maybe we'll have a little something to recap the the big game uh, as it occurs on Sunday, but oh, it hasn't happened yet. So uh, right now we're previewing it, and uh, what once again helping me out with that is my main man Ryan Lukovetsky, NFL writer, Bears writer. So he handles uh handle reads our NFL coverage on the site, and uh, yeah, we're gonna talk. They like said we're gonna give you our thoughts on the matchup. I'll give you our picks, and uh, I also talk a little Bears at the end that we. As we typically do, but uh, Ryan, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going, it's going okay. It's a weird week because of the Kobe uh, passing. Personally, it kind of threw me off. I wasn't really into the Super Bowl coverage and breaking down matchups and previewing. But as the week has gone along and listening to a lot of sports radio, it's it's finally kind of hitting that point where we are transitioning to the Super Bowl and. It's going to be hopefully an exciting game because both these teams are really good. They're different in styles and kind of like the saying goes, styles make fights. And I feel like this could be an all-time kind of classic bout. Hopefully it's able to live up to that billing. Yeah, I think I, I'm hoping for that too. And I I think it may it may do that because I think I've heard some, you know, some people talk about this like, it hasn't been – it certainly hasn't been a typical Super Bowl week or or particularly memorable one. You know, uh, the other the, – the Kobe news has really overshadowed everything. And, uh, you know, you can't really expect the NFL to – you know, it, it's sort of it's sort of interesting, though, because I think there have been some, some weeks in recent years. I think – I think particularly last year you could really say that, too, that the NBA really overshadowed the NFL during Super Bowl week, but it was, but it was because of more benign reasons, more you know positive reasons. Because of, I think the the Anthony Davis stuff had broke that week, and there may have been another deal or something that happened that week. You know, Davis didn't get deal, dealt with court, but the rumors had started then, and it was it was like a it was just a lot of stuff that was going on with the NBA, and that was way more interesting than anything that really was happening with the lead up to the Rams and the Patriots. And then that game turned out to be so trash. <laughs> it just wasn't very entertaining at all. But this game, like you said, Ryan, really has a chance because of the contrast and the strengths that are involved with both teams. It could really be a, 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 a good matchup. And I'm, I'm re- I think it will be, you know, the, the, the spread, we'll go into that a little bit, I guess, in, in a minute. But, you know, the, the picker, the professional pickers aren't, aren't looking at a – they're looking at a close game here. And, uh, you know, anybody who's watched both of these teams throughout the season will, you know, I think there's reason to, there's reason to believe that, that either team could win. You may have a particular favorite, but there's, there's no way you could come into this game and say, oh, you know, 49ers are definitely going to steamroll Kansas City or vice versa. You know, it, it just sets it sets up, I think, for a pretty fine game, potentially. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Both of these teams are extremely talented and good, and either winning shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. I mean, if you think, uh, uh, you know, maybe some people don't believe in Jimmy Garoppolo and they just feel Kansas City's going to steamroll over San Francisco, I'd be shocked if that happens. I mean, maybe because this matchup sets up and sometimes in sports where it seems like everything's all set up, the game doesn't quite live up to the billing and it's usually those games you maybe don't expect as much that live way up to the hype. If that's the case, you know, there's nothing we can do, but I look at both of these teams as so skilled, so highly coached, so talented. And as long as both teams come in with the mindset of we're going to play our game and our style the way we want to and not get away from things that got us successful, i.e., for example, when Baltimore just for whatever reason against the Titans in that divisional round just started throwing the ball a lot and not trusting their run game, that was a big mistake. And both of these teams, like you look at San Francisco, if they get away from their run game early, that would be a big mistake. So both of these teams need to just come in. You know, it's the cliche that we hear about the Super Bowl, especially for people that haven't been there in terms of the players, I should say, and even coaches, really you got to kind of get through the first couple series, feeling each other out, kind of getting used to the atmosphere, and then it becomes just a regular game. So both of these teams need to get to that point where it's a regular game and just play their style. And, and I think as long as, you know, big mistakes aren't made, it should be a close game. And that's usually the determining factor for close games. If one team is just making a bunch of mistakes, we're obviously not going to get that. But otherwise, I would be surprised if it wasn't, at least even if the final score is maybe something that looks somewhat uneven, but it'll feel like the game is pretty close throughout, uh, I would say, uh, throughout the game all the way until the final whistle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's let's, let's get to looking at the phases of the game for each team and see how they how the matchups play out. Let's start with, you know, you, you brought mention to for the 49ers coming out the NFC championship game, obviously proving themselves, as they did throughout the season, to be a, a very good running team, rushing team. You know, Raheem Mostert had a career game, and, you know, they're, they're using that sort of zone-blocking scheme that the Shanahan's have made famous going back to Terrell Davis in the late 90s with the Broncos. And it, it's just – it seems to be – a formula of running the ball and, and all <laughs> line protection that works well at this time of year. So you got that going for the 49ers, but you also have a quarterback who is not, not much has been asked of him at all in this postseason. And people are pretty wary of, of Garoppolo. <laughs> if, if needed, will he be there <laughs> and produce no plays that you know the 49ers may need in this game or will he not have to produce again maybe they maybe they run with Mostert again and even you know beyond Mostert they do have a couple of other guys in that backfield they could go to uh with running the ball you know I I I think I wouldn't think that Mostert could do what he did again but maybe a combined effort, they could probably do what they did again against Kansas City. But uh, you know, what do you what are your thoughts on Ken, on Kansas City's defense 
which you know again is is a it's a pretty good it's it's an improved squad definitely. It's not the type of dominant squad that that we've seen in uh in some time in recent times with teams like Baltimore or Seattle or uh or Denver even and, uh, and when they made the Super Bowl a couple of years. But uh, they they've been they've been pretty effective at least in, in the last several games and they've gotten better over the course of the season. So what do you think about that matchup uh starting off? Yeah, kind of an underrated matchup, I think, because not a lot of people have been really breaking this down. I feel like the the majority of the talk has been the Niners' defense, the Niners' offense, and uh, Kansas City's offense, with very little talk coming about Kansas City's defense. And that's how it's been really for like the last month, two months. And they've been playing steady, like you said, an improved unit, consistent over these last two months, and it seems like Steve Spagnola, the defensive coordinator, is getting through to these guys. And Spagnola famously was the defensive coordinator of the Giants when they took down the Patriots in the Super Bowl with that undefeated team. And so he's a guy that's been in the Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator and and really coached his team well and prepared them well. So I think that that's going to happen again. Albeit, you know, Kyle Shanahan is a terrific schemer and a terrific offensive mind. So I think it's going to be a battle for uh, Spagnola for sure throughout the game and trying to kind of match what Shanahan calls. But uh, again, when you beat the Patriots and Josh McDaniels and them, I, I think you feel confident in your ability to game plan and prepare your team. And the other thing, too, with Kansas City is they do have some star power. I mean, Chris Jones, when he is on and playing well in the middle of that defense and they didn't have him in uh, as much capacity before because of his calf problem. He didn't play in the divisional round and played in the championship series, but on a somewhat limited basis. But when he played against the Titans, he made an impact both in the pass game and in the run game. And you, they really need that again. They need that Fletcher Cox type, uh, Aaron Donald type impact where it's just caving the middle of that offensive line that's really solid and good for San Francisco and uh, forcing them to maybe kind of get away from their game plan because he's wrecking them too much and allowing other guys behind him, like Tyron Matthew, the safety. And he's one of the best safeties in the league, and he can really be, I think, used all over. If you want to put him at linebacker, I think he'd have a chance to do it because he's so physical. He's very good in coverage. I would expect him to get a lot of George Kittle, and I think Steve Spagnuolo is going to hope that maybe he can take Kittle out of it a little bit or – I could see them maybe going away and trying to take Yuschev, the fullback from San Francisco, that they use in a variety of ways. Maybe Tyron Matthew tries to neutralize him out of the backfield. Whatever it is, I, I think there's going to be a lot of wrinkles. And then, of course, they also have that, that pass rusher on the edge in Frank Clark that they brought in. And coincidentally, D Ford, the pass rusher for the 49ers, who was with the Chiefs last year, he kind of became his replacement. And uh, he's had a very solid season. And with all those star powers playing well, and as long as the other pieces around them play solidly, to me the big thing for Kansas City's defense is how well they react to all the different disguises that Kyle Shanahan's going to put. Because you know with this offense of the 49ers, they're extremely physical and they play a lot of these big packages similar to what the Rams do 
in uh, L.A., seeing as how both Sean McVay and uh, Kyle Shanahan work together, it makes a lot of sense. But uh, they run that same kind of power run coming down on you, and then all of a sudden you load up the box thinking we got to stop the run. They run a play action with Kittle going one way, Yushchev going another way. You have Morstead maybe out in the flat, and you've got a couple good receivers in Debo Samuels and Emmanuel – or, yeah, Debo Samuels and Emmanuel Sanders. So – it's going to be quite the challenge for Kansas City. They're going to have their hands full. The big thing for them is how they react to the different disguises and when the you know Kyle Shanahan calls one of those play actions that is trying to sucker them into the strong side because it leaves the weak side all open. And he is so great at keeping defenses off balance, him being Kyle Shanahan. So it's really, I think, comes down to – handling those disguises and then you got to play with physicality because this this Niners offense is going to bring physicality they are going to hit and they are going to block and they're going to be very tough all game long can Kansas City match that intensity they did last week with Derrick Henry they got to do it again this week you go to some good places there and I'm glad you mentioned like the the potential of some pass operations in the play action and stuff and you mentioned Kittle and Kittle is so, someone who is definitely on my on my brain that I'm thinking about because you know the fact that Garoppolo hasn't thrown much in in the playoffs that's also affected his game but Kittle is also of great use in like you said in those power running packages you know he's often on the edge helping you know uh, helping get like he's he's helping secure that edge for those running backs and doing like I think just doing good things and blocking to get to get space for those guys to make plays. But I'm wondering, as a, as a, he, he he's great at that, but his his greatest impact could be as a playmaker. He can break the game open by catching the ball and provide a lot of offense yards after catch and all that stuff. You know you, you know you mentioned. Debo and, and Sanders, also good playmakers, guys who can move the chains. But I think that Kittle can be a difference maker. And I'm I'm just wondering, uh, you know, what what type of game do you think that he will have to have, you know, in order for the 49ers offense to make the impact that they need in this game? I think he's got to have, uh, you know, not to compare him to an all-time great, but he's got to have a Gronk type game, I think, and not in terms of of doing the numbers that Gronk would do, but playing the way that Gronk does. Because really, when Gronkowski retired from the Patriots, he was the best two-way tight end, meaning blocking, receiving, in terms of total package. He wasn't the best receiving tight end in the NFL. That was Travis Kelsey, who was a better receiver. But his combination of really really solid to elite receiving skills to go along with really solid to elite blocking skills. That's what separated him from the pack and made him the best tight end in football. George Kittle is basically the same. If Travis Kelsey isn't the best tight end in football, it's George Kittle because even though he's great as a receiver and maybe a little more natural at it than Gronk, he is a really solid blocker. I mean, one of the best blocking tight ends in the league for his ability to go out there and catch balls. So I think as long as he can be that factor where they call run play with their big package and he's a problem for the Kansas City Chiefs when it 
comes to block, getting a body on him or even just getting through him, getting, a, getting off the block. Because if Gronk is able to – or I'm sorry, if George Kittle is able to hold the blocks, hold the edges like you're talking about and be a factor and be one of the better blockers, that's going to make it so, so tough because all these linebackers and safeties are going to be coming up and then all he has to do is just release, which he's tremendous at as a receiver. And if he can get to those chains, maybe make a few plays downfield, but especially in the red zone, and he can be a, a target for Jimmy and really give him easy places for him, for Garoppolo to throw the ball, I think that that's going to be the way that George Kittle is going to win. I don't expect him to necessarily be this big-time receiver. I feel like the Chiefs will try to take him away because he's such a, a receiving weapon. But when he is used in his dual threat role and he can do both and plays both well, that's, I think, what's going to make him a real problem for Kansas City and could ultimately be the difference in them winning or losing. Because certainly uh, if he's not the key in this game, I feel like Jimmy Garoppolo is. Yeah. you 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 really I think you really hit it on the head there, like with Kittle. Like, he... he He's not likely going to have like a 10. He's not like going to have an MVP type game or a game that screams MVP, but he could have a great, great impact on the game. And he could do that with maybe like four or five or six catches. Like the comparison to Gronk was, is on point too. Cause like you remember last year, Gronk really was the most important receiver for, for Brady in, in that game. And they didn't score a lot, but Gronk had a couple of real clutch uh, catches. I remember the one catch where, you know, he later said that he, like, hurt his uh, leg uh, getting hit on. And, uh, you know, he, he he made that – like, that was like a big first down that they had in that in that clinching drive. And, uh, you know, that's the type of thing that Kittle probably is going to have to do and maybe maybe – one or two big plays in the red zone, or including the touchdown, could be the difference in the game in this game. And he, you know, I would expect him to be involved in a play like that. But uh, let's switch it switching over. You mentioned Kelsey, and you know, Kelsey definitely is the the best receiving tight end, the the most explosive tight end in the league right now. The only tight end ever in the NFL to have four straight thousand yard reception. So this game is potentially going to be a big showcase for him and that entire uh, KC offense. Uh, a great offense with a great leader in Mahomes. Great speed from basically all their receivers. Uh, that trio Hill, Watkins, uh, Nico, uh, uh, and, and you know it's, it's just so many ways that they could beat you. And they're going against, you know, probably the best defense in the league right now in San Francisco. Uh, they rush you with four men or even three men on some occasions. They have some athleticism at every uh, level of their defense and a, 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 a very clutch, uh, uh, experienced guy in Richard Sherman leading that uh, defensive backfield. So as we look at as we switch the, the ball over now and look at that that matchup, you know, what, what do you think are the keys uh, between the two teams there? Yeah, how about uh, how about this matchup? You probably got the best two units in football 
uh, the best offense versus the best defense. And overall, just I don't know if there was a better offense than the San Fran defense other than Kansas City. I mean, this should be heavyweight. I mean, this should be, uh, you know, rumble in the jungle type. But, like, it should be an all-out slugfest. The big thing right away is, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the line of scrimmage. Because Patrick Mahomes, obviously being the quarterback, he's in control. If he sees something that they're doing or sees a matchup that he likes, he's going to have obviously full control and full ability to do whatever he wants in Andy Reid's system. And, uh, you know, it's going to be tough for San Francisco to beat that. I'm sure Robert Sala, who, if he's not a head coach next year, I think a lot of the league is messing up because I'm surprised he's he was so little considered this offseason. With what he's done defensively, he's he's been a great defensive coordinator for the 49ers. I'm sure he's going to have some tricks up his sleeve for play calling and, and try to confuse Patrick Mahomes a little bit. And, you know, that's fine. If that happens, I would expect Patrick Mahomes, you know, to just make the best of a bad situation, not make many mistakes in terms of interceptions and fumbles. Sure, that can happen, but, you know, he's just been so good at that. I, I don't think all of a sudden in the Super Bowl it's going to be like, oh, he can't hold on to the football or, oh, he can't hit a receiver. It's just going to be interception after – I don't expect that to happen either. So I think both – a little bit of the other, uh, maybe not in turnover, but maybe some sacks for the 49ers defense that leads to some stops. I'm sure the uh, Kansas City Chiefs offense is going to score. I feel really good about that, and I also feel really good about Patrick Mahomes making a lot of good plays. And really, I think the game could be won and lost in this matchup, uh, probably more so in San Fran's offense versus Kansas City's defense. But, you know, if any of these heavyweights don't come to play, it's going to be a rough day for their counterpart unit, and they're going to be put in a position that they don't want to be in. So... I expect these heavyweights to come out big time. And I think ultimately Patrick Mahomes being the best is going to be the difference. But if there is going to be a a stop of Patrick Mahomes, like taking him down in San Francisco winning, I think a big key is that line of scrimmage because that front four of San Fran with all those first rounders and all that talent, like Nick Bosa and DeForest Buckner and D Ford, like we talked about, if they are playing well, and certainly the weakest part about Kansas City is probably their offensive line. And not to say that that's a huge problem, because I believe a uh, stat I saw is Patrick Mahomes, where you think he would probably be better, like how Russell Wilson is holding onto the football past three seconds, making plays. You would think that that's where his highest quarterback rating is. I think it's actually the opposite. In 2.5 seconds or less, he has the highest quarterback rating in the league. And, you know, he's so good at reading and just getting rid of the footballs. It's going to be really tough for that pass rush to come in and and get a lot of sacks. So I don't expect a ton, but can that front four really hold the line of scrimmage on the run and get pressure and throw Patrick Mahomes off a little bit with that rush? Because if they can't get pressure with that four and affect him, and that means less spies, on Patrick Mahomes, and if he gets to the edges, he is as deadly as it gets with that arm and his running ability and his creativity. So for San Fran, they got to play a really disciplined game defensively, I think, to beat this Chiefs team. And and for the Chiefs, they've just got to come out, I think, and and play the way that they've been playing. Mahomes do his thing. He is just so in control right now. I think he's the best player in football at this point in time. 
So let him go out there at the most critical position with the most control. Let him just go out there and win the game because he doesn't care if he runs the ball 30 times and barely throws it. I don't think he has that much pride. I really think all he cares about is winning for his guys, and I expect him to go out there and play so well that it's just going to be too much. The great thing about Mahomes and having Mahomes is that even if things go off a little bit, he can make plays that can get that can uh, break open the game for him. He can he can throw underhand or, or, or shovel passes or side. Yeah, arms, the no look, no looks. He can though he does those he doesn't do those things because he he's going out there planning to do those things. He do he does those things because he has such a feel for the game that when things go foobar, he can just you know he can just improvise and make something happen out of nothing. But if you're San Francisco, you kind of want to put him in that position more so than not, well, given your defense, because like you, like you say there, like you just said, Ryan, if he's, if he's making his plays, if he's coming out of the, uh, right out of, out of the snap and he's making plays within two or three seconds, that means that what they're intending to do is always on point, that he's, his first reads are good. And that that means that probably means that those first those that intended receiver is getting off the line of scrimmage well, and they're speeding right by the the San Francisco defenders. They don't want that. They want to be able to cover them one on one, or be able to shield them from getting upfield and breaking out. You know, plays that are first downs, and or if they get them on second or third and long plays that go past those markers easy. So I, I it does make sense that. You want to draw plays out with Mahomes and have him have to think about things more than he usually does. The, the crazy thing, though, is that he still can make great plays if he has to scramble. Like like you said, if he gets out on edge and does things like he did, that, that incredible run against Houston and everything. It's, it's, it's just a, it's amazing what he can do on the fly. But if you're San Francisco, you're going to want him – to be in that unexpected area more so than, you know, where things are just snapping off, popping off right away. Yeah, those are those are good points, Kyle. And, like, the big thing with the, the 49ers is they play a lot of cover three. They're a lot like the Seahawks Legion of Boom style defense. That's why Richard Sherman works so well there. So they are hoping, which, you know, that should work well for them in this matchup, you know, the cover three can take away some of those early, uh, you know, underneath throws. And it certainly takes away the over the top stuff and where it's a little bit more vulnerable is kind of in the middle and uh, deep side the intermediate sideline. So certainly Patrick Mahomes knows that and he knows how to be cover three. It's not going to be necessarily an issue of that, but the good thing about cover three is you can, you, when you run a lot of zone, you can do a lot of different disguise stuff off of it versus man, where you're kind of just uh, settling up man to man. And I think for Robert Sala, he's hoping that his zone and that they can disguise it enough where maybe they can take away some of those quick reads from Patrick Mahomes and force him, like you said, into those longer reads. Cause as long as they keep the over the top nature of the cover three, they should be able to come downhill, especially if those receivers get too far downfield and maybe make a play on the football or at least a play on the receiver. 
And by then you would think that that pass rush would be able to get there and affect them. And as long as they have enough speed at their linebacking position, which they do, maybe they can stop the big runs of Patrick Mahomes. But as you've said, and as I said, when you look at Patrick Mahomes, this is really the scary thing for defensive coordinators. Because a lot of times a quarterback, look at Tom Brady. If you get him off schedule, not that he's bad, but he's a lot more vulnerable because he doesn't have those wheels. He doesn't have that mobility. Same thing with like Peyton Manning. That was a big problem with Aaron Rodgers when he was in his prime and going to the Super Bowl and winning and beating the, the Steelers. He was so good at the quick throws and the immediate reads and being on schedule, but he was so deadly off schedule too. Patrick Mahomes is just the same. I mean, this is like a reincarnation of when Aaron Rodgers was easily competing for best player in NFL history because he had that insane touchdown to interception ratio. Patrick Mahomes is built for, is cut from the same cloth with maybe a better arm and better wheels. He is so good on schedule. And we just said 2.5 seconds or less highest quarterback rating in the league. So good on schedule, but he might be even more special off schedule. I don't know how you can bat that. I mean, you have to just tell your defense, look, guys, if we're not disciplined from start to finish of each whistle, we're not going to have much chance in this game. Yeah, they can't slip up at all. There's no no uh, margin for error, really, for, for their defense. But, you know, they got some. They got players, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see it. If they can make any type of play, they may have they may have to make a play. They they probably won't be given much, but if they can make a play, you know, somehow get it in, get under a ball and, and take it away from the receiver, get it in. I, I think it, that's got to be key. That they got to find some way to turn the ball over and make make KC turn the ball over. If they don't, then it's probably just going to be another game where KC is able to score. 30, 40 points each. And if they're scoring like that, really you, you can't beat them. Yeah. I mean, that that's tough because I, I always say this, you know, we know as Bears fans, when the Bears play the Packers, you know, everyone's like, you got to get some turnovers. But I always come back to the same thing. Aaron Rodgers really just doesn't turn the ball over. Same thing with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, fumbles can happen. And if that happens for sure, that's, that's going to be a huge thing that we talk about. But assuming that the random fumbles don't happen, I mean, Patrick Mahomes just won't throw you the football. And he is so good at not fumbling the football either. If anything, you might get one. And that's just like, man, is that going to be enough? So it's going to be obviously big for them to get any type of extra possessions, however they get it from special teams, defense, whatever, because they're going to need them. I think just the other thing too is, you know, Patrick Mahomes is is so good at moving around and making so many plays. Can like a guy like Richard Sherman shut down the side of the field? Because traditionally he was able to do that, even against Aaron Rodgers. Is he still able to take away a side of the field? Because if you can at least take something away from Patrick Mahomes without it being interception or fumble, I think you got a great chance, or at least a chance, I should say. Not a great chance, a chance. Because the other thing, too, is can you get pressure on him? He's so good at avoiding sacks, whether it's throwing the ball away or running and tucking it or throwing on the run or whatever it is. Because a lot of times you even heard ESPN profiles and some of the other 
NFL and, and pregame shows, you see in film, Patrick Mahomes just drifts backwards. He'll even go like 10, 15 yards backwards. It's almost like Madden because he has such arm strength and accuracy. Who cares? I can drift away because it's you're not going to make a play on the football anyways. And that ability makes it so hard because as a defensive uh, player that's rushing after him, first of all, you're susceptible because the entire field's open. But the other thing is you have to bust your butt running upfield to get after him. You're not going to have much uh, running left if he starts taking off. Yeah. You get some mention to special teams and how that can affect possessions and stuff. Of course, you know, that's an important part of any game. I think in, in Super Bowls and games like this, it could be even more important, you know, because, you, you know, the possessions are of such, of such uh, importance and where you start and, and everything, can be, it can mean a big difference. Kansas City has the ability to score really from anywhere. You know, we've compared them uh, previous uh, shows to, uh, you know, go to state. Uh, at their at their at their best when uh, you know they could just shoot you know shoot from anywhere they could play it at at a, at a high tempo and just run you off the court that's sort of the way that Kansas City runs its offense they they sort of want to run you off the field so you no know, that may not be as big of an issue where where you know you may pin them down in their own territory you know that's not going to matter as much to them you know and you could maybe say the same with with San Francisco as well. Uh, given their their running ability, but uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of times these games come down to field goals and you know extra points and you know both of these teams have good kickers. But I was just wondering, is there anything that that you think sticks out uh, on the special team side with either either team that could maybe make an impact? Oh yeah, if you're a Bears fan, you can't lose because you got Robbie Gold on one side and Dave Tobe special teams coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs on the other side. Yeah. Bears connections galore. All the people that are hating the Bears that because they didn't draft Mahomes, they can look to the special teams and get some positivity. But uh, in terms of making an impact in this game, I think it's just going to be mistakes, honestly, because I think both units are really well coached, execute really well, have a lot of good players. Like you said, two, bo- two teams have really good kickers. Uh, punting hasn't been a problem for really either team. Neither has coverage. Uh, they've got some guys that can definitely put heat on you in the return game. So uh, I, I like both teams, special teams. It's just going to come down to who executes better. And, uh, you know, Robbie Gold has no control over that. So maybe advantage Dave Tobe in the uh, Bears section of the Super Bowl breakdown. There's still a chance. Maybe he, there's still a chance he may be the next Bears coach. You know, we've been saying that for for years now. We're told, but uh, you know, maybe maybe a, maybe another good performance this year will put them high on the list. If uh, you want a hot take here, Kyle, how about this? <laughs> hey, I think Pat Fitzgerald it's... has a better chance than Dave Tobe. Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah, how about that? Oh man, I can't believe that, man. <laughs> I would. How about that? I, I would hope not. But why? Why was that? Why? Why? Why is Tobe now so far away from the Bears' position? You know, because I think they've had a couple openings. I think they interviewed him after Lovey was let go, and yeah. they ultimately decided to go with Tressman. And you know, they could have interviewed him again. They they obviously know about him. They were 
well connected with Kansas City with Chris Ballard being there, and then of course they go with Matt Nagy yeah. as the head coach. Um, so I just I, I don't think they're interested at all. But the Pat Fitzgerald thing, I mean, come on, that's so Bears. Let's get rid of Matt Nagy. Let's get rid of Ryan Pace. We need to do this a different way. Here's this guy at Northwestern that said he would only take one NFL job, and that would be the Bears. Oh, it just smells Bearsian to me. Yeah, we went we went the intelligent offensive guy route. Now let's go with a guy who worries about students texting in the stands. That, you are right about that. Yeah. It's going to be interesting, uh, not to segue too far away from the game, but with the Bears, you know, a lot of st- a lot at stake this season. And it, could you imagine if Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are let go after the year if they have another bad season? I mean, he... I'm sorry? I could imagine it, yeah. I'm just thinking of, like, it's when a- Aaron Rodgers was drafted by the Packers and you had so many regimes come in to try to shut him down, take him down, and – maybe draft the right players to be comparable to him, and none of it worked. And now you're just seeing it with Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. It's just going to happen all over again where it's just all these regimes coming in and we're going to be watching those guys for 20 years and thinking, man, we could have had him and we haven't had nothing since. Yeah, we're definitely in the in the trailblazers uh, Sam Bowie position right now. But, uh, you know, we'll – Oh, don't say it like that, Kyle, because then it sounds justified. What what's, what sounds justified? Like karma for us getting Michael. Now you, oh. you lose out on Patrick Mahomes. Oh, don't get me on that. I, I, well, the bull, the Bulls, karma, the Bulls have suffered enough karma in regards to Michael with LeBron James. So I think true, true, fair enough. I would fair hate enough. that it's transferred to the football team too, but. I don't know. That, that would that would really suck. But. Man, Cubs had a hundred year curse. I mean, what is this? What's going on here? In Chicago, man. We need some karma. Pendulum should be swinging our way. Let's go. Where's that like Boston run of eight years where we're just winning titles? Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe the Sox will get it started. Twenty twenties. Maybe it's the twenty twenties. Cubs get. Cubs get right, White Sox get right, Bulls get lucky with uh, Weissman becoming the next best player in the NBA, and uh, maybe Mitch turns it around. How about that? This is this you got to have hope, man. We got to have hope. But, but maybe we, they draft uh, Jake Crum and he somehow is Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah, maybe that could work. That could work. I, I just, I just want to see something that good happen and. Let's not have to look like dummies to the rest of the NFL, but uh, we'll see. But we, we'll we'll talk a couple of bad things in a minute here. But before we get into that, just give give me your 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 final prediction for the Super Bowl. Uh, when we did the D and Davis show, we recorded last night. Um, I went with Kansas City. I feel good about Kansas City. Not especially good, but I think when all things are kind of equal and I don't think of Kansas City's defense as some huge weakness like some people do, they're probably the weakest unit of all the units in this game, but 
that doesn't mean that they're a bad unit either. And as long as they can play well enough, and as long as Kansas City's offense shows up, which I think they will because of that man, um, I, I'm going to go Kansas City. I think that they're going to, like I said, win some on offense, lose some. So I, I got them at 33 points. And I'm going to put San Fran at 27. Okay. We've we've been going – we've been pretty much on the same page with all our picks this whole season. So, I'm going to actually go against you this time. And I'm I'm going with the 49ers for not – not for any really pressing reasons. I don't have this rooting interest in this game. I I do like both teams. But, you know, consider myself – San Fran? Huh? Sorry to interrupt, but San Fran, Kyle, come on. You gotta you gotta have some disdain for San Fran. Not really. Not not as presently constructed. I mean, I you know True. Not a presently constructed, but thinking of what was it, eighty six loss in the NFC championship game? 80s, yeah, the the eighties San San Fran team was horrible. They 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 were the only thing that stood between the Bears and probably three or four Super Bowls. But yeah. you know, I, I like I said, I, this team I like, and and you know, I I, I like I, like I, said, I like I like I'm, I think more as an NFC guy, I'm more you know I've just been I've been so impressed all year with the way that they run the ball, and I I would like to see that be showcased again in the Super Bowl, and for you know the mostest story whether it's him or not. No, that's a great story, and if, if he can be a Super Bowl MVP, that would be, like I said, a, a hell of a story, given you know his difficulties in breaking through in the league. And you know, I, I just you know I, I want to see I want to see that run that run attack. I want to see that defense. I want to see somebody put uh, Mahomes in a position where he has to prove he has to you know, prove a little more of himself. And and I you know I don't I, I don't want to see Mahomes go without a Super Bowl in his, in his career, but I think him going there and losing once may be a good thing for him. It may be a bad thing for the rest of the league, but it may be a good thing to see you know for him. So I'm 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 just sort of I'm like I say I'm 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 on that edge there where I'm just I'm just I'm going for the NFC guys. I'm going for traditional. Power running and defense, and you know I, I think San Francisco defense is gonna do something to change the course of the game and put it in their favor. And with that running attack, they'll be able to control the ball well enough to keep KC from, you know, really bombing them with with their offense. So I'm I'm gonna go with a similar score with you. I'll say 34-31-9. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's a solid pick. 49ers are I, the Niners were I think they like the third best scoring offense in the league too. So they can yeah. score. Now I like, remember that game against New Orleans um yeah. earlier this year. That offense had to score a lot of points and they did. I mean, they yeah. played great in a very hostile environment. I mean, that is an away game playing the East Coast. You know, or I'm sorry, they're central time, I think. So you're playing central time. But, but still, yeah. that, that early game, West Coast trip, 
that's tough. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they play tough games throughout the season. So I think, you know, I don't think there's anything that's going to, to rattle them. Yeah, they, and that's the other thing, too. They All their losses were close. Mm-hmm. They haven't gotten blown out in any game. They definitely had a chance to win every single game. I mean, they could be undefeated right now, and they had some bounces go their way and played maybe a little bit better, like in that Falcons game, but they still had a chance to win that one. So, uh, you know, for me, the one key that maybe we didn't talk about is Jimmy Garoppolo, because I, I felt going into that Packers game like he was – a big key, but maybe I should have trusted my gut a little bit more thinking San Fran might steamroll Green Bay. Maybe my mind didn't want to believe it, but I kind of felt like it was just a bad matchup for Green Bay. Uh, I just did not think that they were going to win that game. I, maybe I didn't think they'd get blown out, but boy, it was just like beat down central, assuming that that doesn't happen again. And it comes back to where Jimmy has to make some plays because that's really the thing with the 49ers. They have everything you want, really, talent-wise. As long as they have a quarterback that can deliver on some big clutch throws, uh, they're going to have uh, as much of a right to that title. I mean, that's going to be very tough for Patrick Mahomes to overcome because even if he plays a 10 out of 10 game, if Garoppolo can play 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, which is still pretty good, but if you can play that type of game, you should be able to win this. Yeah, I think the key for him, again, will be keeping the ball. In, it's, it's managing. It's keeping the ball in San Francisco's hand, not doing stupid stuff. Because he will throw some picks. That is one yeah. thing Garoppolo will do. Yeah, so, you know, hopefully he doesn't give anything. If He he can maybe give give away one, one possession, and they could be okay. But if he gives away multiple possessions, then they're going to be in big trouble. But, you know, the, there's less pressure though on him. There's less pressure on him, you know. In in when you consider everything, because he doesn't. He I think he knows, and I think he doesn't have to have a, a great game for them to win. And he knows that his that his coach has. You know, he's gonna he's gonna do things to take him take the pressure off of him if he's sensing that the moment is becoming too big for. Him. So you know, it's he just got to go out there and, and and do the best he can, and it's just not get in the way of them winning. Yeah, Kyle, that's a, that's a really good point. And it, I'll tell you one thing: if Jimmy didn't know that he just needed to kind of just do whatever, uh, do his role to win the game, he sure knew after that NFC Championship game because with only eight attempts, to get a win. He must have think he must really believe now. Hey, if I don't screw this up, we're gonna win. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, thanks, thanks again, Ryan, for uh, you know helping me pick the uh, helping me go through this game and pick everything. And I think uh, I think we've given. I've told the audience throughout the year that you should listen to to me and Ryan when it comes to the football stuff. And uh, you would have had a good year. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, just look. You know, all our episodes are still up on, on War on Anchor. So, you know, you can, you can listen back if you want, if you need more proof. But uh, by next year, if you're not listening to what we got to say or listening weekly to our to our football discussions, then, you know, I, that's just on you, man. But, uh, you know,